Let's pray. God, we want you to be present as you always are and to be aware of you in new ways. And I just pray that we want you to speak to us and to challenge us. So show us things this morning um, that just need your healing touch. And that as we leave this place, we know that you are in the process of restoring us. And may we be focused uh, without distraction as you speak into our souls. And may we just hear your voice. With all these passages that we will look at, uh, make them clear. And may we see our story in your story. And these big ideas we need to find out, Lord, just help us with healing and hope. And help and encourage us to know that uh, you will be with us as you always are. May we feel your presence, we pray. Amen. If you missed last week, uh, or the last few weeks, we're in the book of Matthew and we're just sort of walking through it. And uh, you can go to the website, you can listen to the podcasts, and we just do a shout out to those who are watching on um, uh, our live stream. Yeah, know that we are very much aware that you're part of our community as well. And uh, uh, the, the, if you go back to the podcast, it's going to fill in a whole lot of details that I may omit or presume as I continue on in this life lesson. Uh, so here we are in Matthew chapter 5, and Matthew reports of the popular success of Jesus and the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus went through the region. He's proclaiming the message of the kingdom and authenticating these claims by healing people and Throngs of people are responding to the message of Jesus. They're coming from far away. They're coming to, to be healed. They're coming to hear what's being said. They're coming to be encouraged. There's just a hunger there. Scripture says that Jesus saw the crowds coming to him, so he went up on the mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came around him and Jesus began to speak to them. And uh, now we have Jesus there announcing, beginning a series of announcements. And basically he goes, blessed are the losers, the zeros, those without any form of religion, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who grieve, who cry, who hurt from the inside out, those who are mourning, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the average, the unnoticed, the weak, for they will inherit the earth. And so what Jesus was announcing was that uh, the next time that failure exposes your own spiritual bankruptcy or something happens to you that brings you great pain or sorrow or the next time that somebody reminds you on how completely uh, inadequate you are, well then congratulations. The kingdom of heaven is yours. And the Beatitudes are are Jesus' surprising countercultural God bless yous to people in God awful situations. And that, that, that God is for and with you, and then that God is on our side. How great is that? And now we continue to move on and we read Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be uh, 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 filled. In the Old Testament, the, the, the background to the image of hunger and thirsting compares this drive, this, this drive for righteousness, this deepest and most constant needs that we have, hunger and thirst. 
Hunger and thirst is constantly this cry out for satisfaction. It is, it is basically built within us. The image then is portraying this desire to do the will of God as, as something that is constant, as something that is strong. And the beatitude is saying actually much more than what people think because that word righteousness often refers to uprightness, doing the right thing. Obeying God's rules, so to speak. But that same word is also used in English for what we would call and translate as justice. And I believe that's exactly what Jesus has in mind here when he's making his announcement. It is describing a passion in life that they hunger and that they thirst for it. And it's like the poor and the meek. You know, these people put their lives into the hand of God and they have hope for, the, for this help. But in many places throughout the Bible, God's cry, people, they, they cry out uh, uh, to him to give them justice. We read throughout the scriptures that the, the punish those who murdered their loved ones. And punish those who invade their land. God, we cry out that, that you would punish. We want justice for those who steal our possessions, that, that tell lies about us, that cheat us in our business. And there's this cry out throughout the entire scriptures. And, and God's people, they cry out to him and they ask him what? To act on their behalf and to bring justice. You're righteous, Lord. And when I bring a case before you, yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do the bad guys win? Why do all the faithless live at ease? Common cry of our culture. And then Jesus announces, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Those who hunger and thirst will be filled. Another translation says they'll be satisfied. So what does that mean? Does it mean that we have to wait until the end of the world for this to happen? The final seat of the judgment seat of Christ? Do we have to wait till everything is finished so that we're satisfied? You know, do we have to be hungry and thirsty for some 2,000 years and wait until the end of the world? Because we know that the scripture tells us that in the future kingdom of God, the demands of justice will be satisfied. It will be. But sometimes it seems like people who do evil things, they, they get away with it and it drives us crazy. And throughout the Bible, God promises that one day, yeah, justice will be done. That no crime will go unpunished. No wrong will go unanswered. But do we have to wait until then? And I would say no. So that the blessing is in the tension. Let me explain. When you don't know what to do, when your heart is aching, when you're screaming out for justice because whatever you're either experiencing or witnessing, you know it's wrong and you're asking God to intervene, that's the tension. And that's the perfection. And that's when God is with you. It's in those moments of frustration uh, that God announces, blessed are you, I am with you. And the, and the gospel is that, that God meets us in the frustration, in the moment, in the anger, right? In that frustration, in the awe of life. God is there in that moment speaking blessing, speaking love, speaking acceptance. I am with you in all of that. Let me explain. It's uh, God's desire 
for the world, that everything in it has its right place. The, um, the, the scripture uses the word shalom, peace. And ultimately, that is God's plan. God's plan to restore this place, this earth that we live in, to its original state. That, that was one of peace, peace and harmony and relationship, shalom. And, and so there's this in, inner, because of the fall, there's this inner hunger and thirst that we now have. What? We have this for peace. We have it for righteousness. We have this inner hunger and thirst for justice. It's the way we're wired. So built in all of us uh, are these physical descriptions that are describing an ache or a longing or a desire for righteousness. And we see this carried out on a number of levels as well. Globally, we look at our world and, and we are broken in inside. When we see, watch the news and what's happening in Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan and other war-torn countries. Countries with civil wars going on and all over our globe. When we see the, the abusers inflict inhumane punishment upon people, torture, starvation, and murder. We, that's when we cry out, where is God? Where is the justice? And then we can even look at our own systemic culture, we, our own systems that, that don't provide the necessary care for those who need it the most. Our healthcare system, our mental health system, you know, what's happening on our reserves, what's happening with people crossing our borders looking for a new life. What's wrong with our system? And some of us even here are experiencing the, the short end of the system. What about the relational? You ever watch a marriage fall apart? Some of you know that personally. That slow process, that, that ache. And if you're on the outside and you're watching friends and, and things are falling apart and you're helpless, you know, don't you have a hunger and a thirst to see things done a different way? You know, not to mention we all have our own personal demons, right? You know, for some, they're, they're greater than others. And, you know, maybe you're asking yourself the question, why am I always struggling with this? You know, I, I fell for it again. You know, there's this hunger, there's this thirst inside of us to see it done just right. That ache. Those pangs, those, those cries where we just get on our knees and we just say, God, intervene. You know, this passage is not about us having it all together. And, you know, and then waiting until the end and where Jesus is going to sort it all out. This passage about, is about recognizing, listen, God is on your side. The ache, the desire, the absence, or the hunger and the thirst in that lack, in that absence of righteousness or justice, it's in those Pangs, those hunger pangs, whatever you want to call it. It's at that moment that God is with you. That God is on your side. Blessed are you when your body craves shalom. I just want peace. When your body craves righteousness, when your body craves justice, God is with you and he craves it as well. If you turn to the book of Habakkuk or Habakkuk, depending on how you want to call it, Okay, that, that just fell. Anyway, um, <laughs> the prophet's looking around the world and he's angry. And he's frustrated in his pain, in his hungering, in his thirsting for righteousness. 
Notice what he says, and, and he's yelling at it. The prophecy that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing, destruction, violence are before me? There's strife and conflict that abounds. Oh God, therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Habakkuk is going off on God. He's overwhelmed with despair because the world is not how it's supposed to be. But that is us, is it not? You know, but for many Christians, we've been given what is called this victorious Christianity. This premise that, you know, because the tomb is empty, we should always, like, always act like the tomb is empty. You know, we have the victory. We should be happy, happy Christians all the time. Happy, happy, happy Jesus, buddy Jesus. And what that teaching has done is that it's actually taught us to live in denial. That in all situations, you know, you need to be victorious, happy. There's no room for being poor in spirit. There's no room for grieving. There's no room for mourning or for craving righteousness or justice. You just need to be happy. We live victoriously. I can see according to scripture, though, it's okay to have a Habakkuk day. Listen, in some situations, Jesus affirms that you and I are going to hunger and thirst. And that doesn't mean we've lost our faith or that we're going to abandon our faith or that, you know, we're all screwed up. It means that you are actually alive. It means that you are attuned. It means that you are aware of just how the world is and just how God sees it. And the hunger and thirst for Jesus are signs that you're actually getting it. And so what happens is, is that these are all very human emotions that rise up within us when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And yet we see justice it gets perverted and nations fight against each other. And when people step on us and hurt us and take advantage of us or betray us or slander us, there's this ugh that wells up and the law is paralyzed and we want to respond. And some people do on Facebook. Stupid, but they do. But what happens is when we want to respond and we look at God and go, God, God, why do you look at this and don't do anything? God, why are you so weak and lame? The gospel has room for us to have a Habakkuk moment. It has room for us to have a Habakkuk day, a Habakkuk week, a Habakkuk season of despair. There is room for our humanity in the gospel. Are you with me? Okay, so one person is, so for that one person, I'm just going to continue. 
It's okay for us to have rants and to shake our, our fists at the heavens. God knows I've done it, I'll tell you. And have seasons when the, the suffering of our world, or maybe our own personal suffering is so overwhelming that the word picture that Jesus uses is something that we can all relate with, right? Hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who are literally physically aching over the condition of their own inner self and the condition of the world in which they find themselves. And Jesus blesses the absence, not the achievement, but the absence. He blesses the longing, not the action. He blesses the desire, not the doing. He speaks that, that, that despair, that ache, that longing, that hunger, that thirst. And he says, look, I'm with you even in that. And that's the hope of the gospel. You see, the world actually works just fine for some people. They, you know, they can manipulate, they can cheat, they can lie, they can steal, they can have everything they need. They can step on people, they can do whatever they want. We all know that there are people in the world like that. And the world works just fine for some people like that. They're doing just fine. Jesus isn't announcing anything to them because they don't need God. But to those at the end of their rope, to those hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for justice, he says... God bless you. God is with you. God is on your side. And then he moves on. He says, blessed are the merciful, that they will be shown mercy. And it's kind of odd that these two qualities should stand side by side in the Beatitudes. You have justice and mercy. They actually call for opposite responses. One actually calls for punishment. The other one calls for compassion. And yet these are both characteristics and qualities of God. Both are qualities that God would like to see replicated in us. The desire for justice. But also the exercise of mercy. And mercy is unexpected forgiveness. Justice, on the other hand, is punishment for, that somebody deserves for what they have done wrong. So mercy, is, it's a surprise. It's something unearned. It's just given to you. It's, it's forgiveness that, does, that, that someone does not deserve. You ever been there? There's nothing they've done to justify it. Just, it's just like God forgives us our sins. Not because you said you're sorry or I repent. Not because you're, you're trying to make up for it. But God forgives your sins and my sins just because. Why? Because he is merciful. And since God has been merciful to us, he expects us to be merciful towards others. The word mercy is elemion, and it means compassion for those who are afflicted. And it has built within it this desire to relieve their affliction. So elemion has two basic ideas, compassion and if I can say this, plus action. So when, when Jesus says this, when he has in mind, you know, compassion for those who are afflicted, accompanied by the action to help relieve their suffering. Ephesians reminds us that God himself is filled with mercy. If you go to Ephesians chapter 2 in the scriptures, it says, as for you, speaking to you and me, as for us, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Interesting point here in Ephesians, we were dead. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is not work and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time. All of us, interesting. All of us, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. 
But because of his great love for us, God, what does it say? Sorry, I didn't hear that. God, what? God is rich in mercy. Made us alive with Christ. Even when, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. God raised us up with Christ. He has seated us with him in heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. In order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. And Paul begins a section that we're all in the same boat. We're all dead in our trespasses and sin, but, 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 but God, who is rich in mercy, but God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive. That's worth an amen if we were in an amening crowd. Or I drink to that. I don't know which one you're going to go to. But. You know, God, who is rich in mercy, has compassion and moves. What does he do? He actually has the compassion and he moves into action, what? To relieve our suffering. Commentary William Barclay, he suggests that mercy is getting into somebody's skin and thinking like they think and feeling like they feel. It's just a creepy illustration, but I love it. And seeing what they see. It's not just feeling sorry for somebody. It's actually, as he says, getting into their skin so that we can think like them, see like them, feel like them. And that's what God, if you think about it, that's what God did for us through Jesus. If you think about it, he got into our skin. It's called the incarnation. We celebrate it every Christmas. He thought like us. He saw like us. He felt like us. Hebrews 2 says, For this reason he had been made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He was able to help those who are being tempted. So Jesus, when we look at it, got into our skin. And he suffered like that. He thought like us. He saw like us. He felt like us because he was in our skin. He empathizes, sympathizes. And what does he do? He extends mercy to us. You think about it. The creator of the universe getting into our skin. Can you imagine his frustration? He's the creator of the universe confined to the limitations of the human body. Philippians 2 says, in your relationship with one, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God didn't consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Found in appearances, man humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He took on our skin. That's mercy. Mercy involves compassion plus Action. How was that for quickness? The parable of the Good Samaritan is is classic example of compassion plus action. Luke chapter 10, you pick it up in verse 30. and, And Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be coming down at the same road. He saw the man pass by on the other side, right? So to a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. He saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He put the man on his own dog, and he brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave him to the innkeeper, said, look after him. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. 
Jesus turns around to the people because it was a big discussion going on. He goes, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The experts of the law said, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. The precursor to that conversation was a, uh, the rich man coming up to Jesus and saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' response was, love your neighbor, as your, your, you know, love your neighbor. And the next question is, who is my neighbor? And the, the aspect is that if we as Christians say that we love God, then we are to love our neighbor. The question then, who's our neighbor? Everybody, including our enemy, is our neighbor. You know, and Jesus got into our skin. And what he's asking for us in terms of mercy is that we are to get into the skin of others. Why? Because when we were dead, God had mercy on us. And how can we do less than have mercy towards those around us? However, you know, sometimes Christians get to the point of thinking that they deserve grace and they've received it. And that, and what happens is that we've created a culture of Christians that become intolerant of others and even judgmental and con- condemning. I think the reality of our own spiritual condition and God's provision must never be forgotten. Compassion. And so Jesus is announcing that people are called blessed because they place showing mercy above their own rights. They take no hostile stand against people in need. They try to show kindness to others. They try to heal wounds. And listen, it's not that we are merciful by nature. We are merciful because we have been shown mercy. And as believers, we need to live in a constant dependence on the Lord. And because we understand mercy and show mercy to others, the word from God is is that when you do that, you're going to obtain it yourself. You're going to obtain mercy, not because you did enough good deeds, I need to say that, but because they've understood how important mercy is in our own spiritual pilgrimage. Having entered into that state of grace where we're eager to share it with others. They've learned to forgive others because they're constantly being forgiven. They've learned to show mercy to others because we understand that we're being shown mercy every day. That's the call. That's the call to us. And then Jesus goes on, he makes another announcement. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I came to this passage and I said to myself, Self! Really? (laughs) What am I going to say about purity of heart? Because if you know me, you know that my heart's not so pure. And of course my wife says amen. And let me me just be honest and transparent. It's full of anger. It's jealousy. There's all this other junk. What what in the world am I going to say about purity in heart? Hey, people, you need to go out and be pure in heart. Okay, please, please, all of you, go out and be pure in heart. Thank you very much. Let's pray. (laughs) 
Then we read, it says, it's the pure in heart who see God. I want to see God. Don't you? Does that ever cross your mind? I want to know him. I prayed even at the beginning that we would experience him. But isn't the crazy thing that somehow my heart stands in the way? Is that, is that what Jesus is saying? You know, if you're amongst the disciples listening to Jesus that day on the mountain, you'd probably find yourself you know, coming to a very abrupt halt at this point. You know, you have no problem with the congratulations to those who are spiritually bankrupt, you know, you know, those who are dismayed with the world, those who feel completely inadequate in life, you know. Congratulations for those who are looking for justice. Yeah, that's me, that's good, no far, so far so good. Most everybody's thinking, no problem, that's me. Yeah, I'm in this kingdom for sure, it's happening. And then we, you know, uh, unex, you know unexpectedly forgiving and we go, mm, uh, there's probably a f- few people squirming at this point because we know we gotta do some action here. I really need to be more merciful, I gotta work on that. But when we arrive to this beatitude, when this announcement comes out, everything comes to a screeching halt. Congratulations to you who are absolutely innocent on the inside and out. Because you are the ones who will see God. I think I missed that. See, the word pure means without any contaminant, not without any stain or spot. And here we have Jesus saying that those who are the citizens of the kingdom are absolutely innocent of anything wrong. That not only is their outward behavior completely perfect, so is their heart, their innermost thoughts, their motives, their desires, their dreams. Ouch. They're absolutely innocent through and through. Now will all the innocent people please stand up and acknowledge who you are here today? I thought so. See, the heart is used in the scriptures for the center of the will, the choices that we make. And so to be pure in heart means that the decisions that one makes, the de- desires that one has, the thoughts, the intentions of the will are untarnished by sin. And that the will is determined to be pleasing to God. That's how it's based out. So from the pure heart comes only good things, comes act of loves, comes mercy, desire for righteousness, justice, decisions that please God. And yet when we look at the Beatitudes, we see that they're about opening up the kingdom to all people. They're a serious announcement. It's an announcement to people that invites them. There's this invitation to the kingdom, but I think it also gives us an invitation to change. And there's a tension here again. And simply put, the pure in heart will see God. Jesus doesn't tell us what the pure in heart actually is. He doesn't break down his message here, his announcement. There is no explanation. He just leaves it hanging there. But he does show us in his teachings what the opposite of a pure heart is. And so we have to go to Mark chapter 7, and Jesus and the religious leaders, they're again in the middle of a debate of what's clean and unclean, what's kosher, right? And it says the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law had come from Jerusalem. They gathered around Jesus. They saw some of the disciples eating food with their hands that were defiled. That is, it was unwashed. And the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless their hands are given a ceremonial washing and holding to the tradition of the elders. 
When they came from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. And so there's, it's a huge tradition that they go through. And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? And it's more than just having mom tell you to wash your hands before dinner. And you think about Jesus' life, he makes a clean sweep of all these taboos that they live by. All these gestures that they, that they go through. He eats with the sinners, he touches the lepers, he mixes with the pagans. And all of these things were highly unsanitary things according to the Pharisees. He also swept away the taboo with all of his teachings. And the seriousness in which he introduces this address on the pure and the impure makes it apparent about how conscious he was of the novelty of his teaching. He's very much aware of what he's saying to these people. He's very much aware that he's saying something new. He's turning heads. And we go on, we continue to read. And Mark, he says, and it's funny, he says this to his disciples, are you so dull? He's using some pretty strong words here. Don't you see that nothing enters a person from the outside that can defile him? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of their body. In essence, what we see here is that Jesus does declare all foods clean. Which is a whole other sermon. And then he went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it's from within a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality. Theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. You want to talk about what the human heart is really like? I think Jesus just sort of laid it out before us. All of these evils come inside of you and defile you. And Jesus said some very challenging things here. He says, look within your heart. That's the real place of defilement. And yet in the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. I want to see God, but my heart is so off. The opposite of the, the Beatitudes, the blessed in Matthew 5 is actually later on, and we'll be going through this in Matthew 23, are the woes. There's seven woes against the scribes and the Pharisees. And those woes pass judgment on people who, who refuse to recognize and do the full will of God. The woes describe their character as well, but it's an, it's an evil and hypocritical character. And the woes uh, are a divine pledge of judgment if those lives continue in their weakness. So Jesus says in Matthew 23, he says, woe to you. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but on the inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish. <coughs> Excuse me. First clean the inside of the cup and dish and then the outside will also be clean. That's an ouch. 
Jesus is calling them hypocrites. You know, we have no problem with that term. But that day, it was a real put down, especially when you attributed it to religious leaders. It meant actors. Jesus is saying, look at you religious leaders are simply actors. That's all you do. It's this major disrespect of the time. They have their outside dealt with, but their inside is way off base. Their priorities are upside down. Their heart is the problem, not the stuff that people see. Jesus wants to get down to what's going on on the inside. And so if we go to the parable of Luke 18, where it says two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I love this prayer. (laughs) I'm not like other people, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even like the tax collector. God, you know what? I fast twice a week. Yes, what I do, I do. And I give a tenth of all I get. Speaking of which, our joy basket's on the way out, just to remind you. Shameless plug. If I could have the band move into place. And this guy goes off, but the tax collector stood at a distance. And he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but rather he beat his breast and he said, what? He said, God have mercy on me a sinner and Jesus goes on he says I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted God have mercy on me a sinner blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God I want to see God What does that mean? I think the moment you discover that you're a hypocrite is the moment that you meet God. That's the moment where God can deal with you. And if God can deal with you, that means that you can see him. God can meet you and I in our brokenness is the type of heart that he is after. That, my friends, is the purity that he is looking for. And when we come before him and we have this transparency and honesty before the creator of the universe, that we don't have to jump through all different types of hoops or whatever washing purity stuff for God to like us, for God to simply call us blessed. But rather we have an invitation to examine our hearts. And that's what scripture encourages us to do. Psalm 51. Can you read this out loud? Go ahead. And this is where I want to end this morning.
Take a second, just read it over in your minds. Father God, we come to you today with great humility and thanks. We thank you so much that you reveal yourself to us and that you disclose to us who you are through the scripture and through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can know you and love you. We thank you that you continue to give life, that you continue to conquer death. So God, I pray that you would help us believe in you. Help us to have the faith to believe everything that you have taught us. You told disciples that they would be safe, but they were still scared in the storm. We hear your words. We say we believe that you are in control, but we still struggle with fears and questions. God, the storms that many people here today face are large, but they're not larger than you. And our problems may be many, but they're not as plentiful as who you are. And so you said that you'd be with us. And God, my prayer as we stand in your presence this morning is to forgive us our doubts. God, some of us are barely hanging on to this idea because there's so much around us pointing us in the opposite direction. So today we cling to what little shards of hope that we have with you. God, give us faith. Give us faith when, when, when things appear to be going wrong all around us. Give us faith when the rest of the world says, don't bother, you know, they don't bother with you. You're wasting your time. God, just give us faith when we slip and fall in this journey that we have with you. May we just come to you confidently, knowing that you will answer us, that you will help us, that you'll be there for us, that you'll listen to our problems and that you'll know exactly what we need. God, just, just help us to hand over life's difficulties to you. Help us to stop trying to solve our problems once we give them to you. And help us to just let go of it. God, may, may I, you just encourage us and give us the faith to understand that you'll solve our problems in your time and not ours. And so we pay, pray for patience. We pray for understanding. Help us to be patient. Help us to be understanding, not just with what we want from you, but God, with others that you've placed in our world. Father, meet us in our pain, those here today. Meet us in our despair. Meet us in our questioning, in our doubts. God, meet us in our joy and speak to us and keep reminding us that he is risen. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the open tomb. We thank you for this Jesus who forgives us, who restores us, but most importantly, who also just gives us hope. Maybe today you're here and you're just at the point, maybe you just want to invite the Lord into your life. I just want to encourage you just to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. And just become Lord of my life. If that was you and you want somebody to talk to, somebody to pray with, we will have pastoral staff at the cross there. They'd love to talk to you on my right, your left, at the end of the gathering. 
My prayer for you, Soul Sanctuary, is that you will experience power of streams of living water welling up within yourselves. I pray that you'll be people who love to study, love to read, but first and foremost, that your devotions will be to his scriptures, his word, and that you would love Jesus with all your heart and that you would demonstrate that in real and practical ways with humility, with simplicity, and with affection. Why do we come? We come here for him. We come on a Sunday and we gather together to lift up the name of God, to sing praises. And for some of you, you got to sing for others who just are unable to. We come to pray with one another. We come to be prayed for. And we come to hear the word. We come for him. Just before the blessing, I've asked the worship team just to lead us in one more song. And then I'll give you the blessing and then you're free to go. Go ahead, Jeremy.
he wasn't setting a new standard of holiness and asking people to rise to meet it. Rather, this was the introduction to his lesson designed to meet people right where they were and to give them hope in God. That God's kingdom would somehow satisfy their deepest needs and fulfill their deepest desires no matter how unworthy they might feel or be. In ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. Here it is, so sanctuary. You are not rats in a maze. Amen? <laughs> okay. But you are heirs to the kingdom of God. So go in comfort to love and to serve the Lord our God. Fight for righteousness and for justice. Show mercy. Get into someone's skin. And do this with a pure heart full of obedience, full of passion, full of conviction, and with love and desire. And may God bless you as you choose to make a difference in the world in which he has placed you.